I try not to silo God. So mm-hmm. I think that he's like in everything. I definitely see his hand working um, in me and through me, like in the music scene, mm-hmm. um, especially just like the amount of influence that he's given me, like not even just like in the Christian scene, but like um, in the Atlanta scene, just like, yeah, like just being able to maneuver, like really like worldwide, like I've seen a lot of favors. So She manages chart-topping rappers, she hosts major concerts and festivals, and is president of a record label. In this episode of Testimony, a Musician Story, Erin Knight shares her Christian testimony. Erin shares how relationships with Wande, What Up RG, and Scotty ATL turned into her managing their careers. She explains the vision behind the booking agency Invite Only, and the label Build Your Own Dreams. Additionally, Erin shares her thoughts on Kendrick Lamar's final album with Top Dog Entertainment. I am Gilega Brown, and this is Soundseekers Presents Testimony, a Musician's Story. Hi, this is Erin Knight, and this is my testimony. And let's start with your first music memory, whether it be a song, music video, concert, first music memory. Uh, so I grew up in a super, um, I'd say religious slash legalistic household. So we couldn't listen to anything but classical music or gospel music. So um, I got enough gospel, I, I guess enough, not enough, but I got a lot from my parents. So when I was exploring by myself, it was definitely classical music. So I don't know. I feel like my first memories are like Beethoven and Tchaikovsky, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And I like, I used to have this CD called uh, Tchaikovsky in the rain. And so Mm -hmm. it'd be like his piano ballads in the rain and like rain in the background. So I feel like, I don't know. I feel like, yeah. uh, Or it could be church. I do remember like worship services at church. So it's one of those two between yeah, between those Classical two. Classical or just worship services in church. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just interesting in itself, the whole classical aspect. Um, and even the people you named, I don't even know how to say their names. Like, it's not like I should have said Gazumtite after you sneezed or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty dope. So um, you were born and raised in Atlanta? I'm in Atlanta, yes. I'm an ATL-ian. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so A-Town down. Through and through. <clears throat> Atlanta resident. I was born on the south side of Atlanta. It's like, I'm so proud of that. Yep. Born and raised in Atlanta. Yeah. And anyone who meets you knows that you're pretty much self-proclaimed Atlanta enthusiast. So why, why so much love? I mean, you were like one of the few people that I know who has so much love for work for where they come from. Man, that's because I come from the dopest city in the world. Everybody, <laughs> if you came from Atlanta, you'd feel the same way. You know what I'm saying? But um, for me, there's so many reasons I love Atlanta. But I think it's like part of the main reason that I'm able to dream so well, because uh, as a black woman in the city, I see so many examples of like black people leading well, owning things from politics to churches to businesses. We have the highest per capita of black entrepreneurs in the world. So it's like, 
I don't know. I grew up around seeing successful people, people who were thinking differently and doing what they wanted to do. And so whenever I would leave Atlanta, I'd say like when I was younger, I grew up on the South side, but I was primarily in the suburbs. So like my parents had a a church in a predominantly black area, but you pass two streets and you're in a predominantly white area. So Mm -hmm. that's the area that I grew up in, went to school, started out in private school, then went to public school. So when I was younger, I didn't super see me. I was still kind of like one of few. But once I started getting older, I ended up going to Georgia State for a little bit, which is right in the heart of the city. Yeah. So by like 16, 17, I was in the city a lot more. And then by the time I graduated and went to school for a little bit, I was like always in the city. So <clears throat> seeing people in the city who like looked like me, sounded like me, felt like me, even like, like when you grow up in predominantly white areas, mm-hmm. you're told that blackness is a monolith. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you're you're told like, oh, well, black is this, you know? So then people would ask me about myself and they'd be like, well, why are you like this? And like black people would ask me why, you know, why I talk so white. And then white people were just like, they were obsessed with the tokenism. So they thought I was cool. And I always felt like disenfranchised, you know? And so then going into the city, I was like, man, Black people are magical and there's every version of us we could ever imagine. And in fact, most versions of white America come as a reflection of what they're trying to emulate from black culture. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? And so like that discovery like <laughs> set me free. And I was yeah. like, yo, we're dope, you know? And so it gave me uh an affection for myself and for people who look in and who who black people. It gave me an affection for my city and the freedom that I found there. Like mm-hmm. Atlanta is the first place that I've ever felt fully accepted and loved, right? Mm-hmm. Like <clears throat> bless my parents, but I never felt that in my home life. I never felt that like I played sports coming up and I always felt like accepted, but I felt like different, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I feel like every little place that I tried to find a home for myself, I never did. But Atlanta, the city of Atlanta, I've always felt fully like and freely myself. And so I think like it comes down to like nature and nurture, like as a black woman seeing myself, I felt like the nature part of me was like, oh, I want to be this, but I was also nurtured in Atlanta. So I love that. I think even now down to like sports, tech, movie, uh, film, the music industry, there's nothing about Atlanta that the world isn't being influenced by. Like Atlanta influences everything. That's like what our saying is. That's our unofficial city slogan. And so the truth in that is that if you want to be part of influencing the world, if you get plugged into the streamline of Atlanta, it's a way easier sell. So for me, those are just the tip of the iceberg of reasons that I love Atlanta. I'm a unofficial foodie too. The culinary scene here is phenomenal. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Like the food here is crazy. Um, I love my church. So that's another reason that I love Atlanta. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know, like I've traveled a ton in my life and like I've lived a couple places here and there for two or three months at the t- at a time, but there's no place like Atlanta and not just because it's where I'm from. It's like, as it evolves and progresses, I'm just like forever enthralled with this incredible city. So I, I love Atlanta. <laughs> Clearly. Okay. The whole monologue. Yep, <laughs> That's yep, awesome. Yep. 
So you said that your parents had a church when you were growing up. Um, so they pastored a church? Yeah, yeah. My parents are pastors still. Yeah. Okay. So you're a pastor's kid then. I am. <laughs> yep. And have- everything that comes with that. Yep. Everything that comes with that. And do you have siblings as well? Yeah, I have an older brother and a younger brother. Okay. So I'm the middle child. Right and middle child too. Middle power. <laughs> yeah. So so okay, so when you say everything that comes with being a PK, um, for those who don't know, like what are some examples of things that, that come with being a PK? Um yeah, never really being able to do what you want to do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, whether it be uh, restrictions from your parents because they want you to be something else or present as something or restrictions from other people because they have an expectation of what you should be and what your future should be and how you should live life. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll say as I got older, my mother tried to let me be more of myself, but it was, it was always a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think, I think just like, being locked into what people perceive as like is normal or necessary or beneficial for a pastor's kid. A lot of people put the hopes of their children into the PKs because they're like, well, my kid didn't do this. So, you know, so you end up with a ton of extra parents and a ton of extra pressure and a ton of extra like expectations, um, even to like influence other people's kids. And it's like, yo, I'm 12. I'm 15. <laughs> I'm 18. Like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. what do you yeah. want from me? So, yeah. Yeah. So being that where you're at now and um, how do your parents feel about, cause they put all these restrictions on you when you were younger and now here you are. <laughs> what do they think about all of that? Uh, I don't think my dad really has an opinion about it. We still don't have like the greatest relationship. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think my dad is just kind of like my daughter is different and interesting and she does a lot of stuff, but he, I don't think he really knows what's going on. Um, I think my mom is learning to like, I think my mom accepted what I'm doing some years back, but I think she's learning to appreciate it right now, even though she doesn't fully understand it. But it's like, it's getting to the point now that like her friends and like people that she knows know me and know of my work. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's like, people are like, Oh yeah. Did you know Aaron was doing da da da? And then she'll call me and be like, yo, were you doing da 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 da? And I'm <laughs> like, yeah. So um, I think that helps, but I just, I think that when you're a visionary you're never going to be able to explain yourself to people. You know, I was talking to one of my friends the other day <clears throat> And I told him, I was like, I finally realized, like, I live in space. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm coming and like, and like, I live in space, but in the future, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Not just in space, like I live in the future of space. So it's like, when I come, like, and I'm trying to explain myself to like citizens of Earth, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, you know, and so like my mom is used to me being an astronaut slash alien. We haven't yet to be decided at this point. She's used to that, but still doesn't know where I'm going, why I feel the need to go there. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think like to the level that she can, she she, uh, respects it. And I think that she tries to support, but you know, it's it's not something that I can say that my family is super supportive of my career. Okay. 
And then growing up in the church, um, obviously you were surrounded by the word, but when did it become real to you? Um, I would say probably, I think there's like several points in my life that I can like distinctively remember. I remember like being, I think 15 or 16 and I internalized pray without ceasing. And I remember like walking like through my high school and like just praying like in my head and like seeing things like change in my life and in the life of my friends, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think again at 19, I had like, yeah, so I didn't want to go to, I wanted to go to Duke. I got into Duke. My dad didn't let me go to Duke. I had like a scholarship and everything. It was just a whole thing, right? So Duke has been like my favorite school since I was like eight. Mm -hmm. Um, When I found out what college was, you know what I'm saying? I love their colors. I love their basketball team. So I always wanted to go to Duke. And so I played sports. I played basketball and I did like, um, like I was a thrower in high school too. So I did like shot put and discus. So I got some uh, scholarship offers to play basketball in college. But even back then, before it was like this big thing, I knew that I didn't want a university to own me because I know myself. I know my mind. If I decide I don't want to be a part of something, I didn't want my college career to be in jeopardy so I didn't take any of those scholarships and so my dad was pissed and um I did I got academic scholarships to a bunch of places but I don't know I guess he just I don't know my is that's a different story for a different day so I ended up not being able to go to Duke and the one school that I had said all through high school that I wouldn't go to was Georgia State because I'm like (laughs) everybody can get into Georgia State I was like I'm in AP classes I'm a student athlete like I'm a part of all these clubs and extracurriculars I'm not going to like just the basic level state school no disrespect to anybody who went there I had an elitist mindset I had to get over once I graduated (laughs) do you know what I'm saying like I just it wasn't good but that was the one place I said I didn't want to go and so they were like well you're gonna go to Georgia State and I was like no ended up going and selling real estate a little bit uh, for like a semester I started I sold like two houses and then my parents were like you know you still got to go to school I'm like yo I'm 18 and I'm selling houses what are y'all talking about so literally both my mom and dad drove me down to Georgia State registered me and I ended up going to that school you had a question but I just got lost in explaining the context around it what was your question well you were just talking about the different points in your life when you okay yes (laughs) so went to Georgia State for one semester I was like I told you mofos I'm not doing this like (laughs) this is not it so after that I had a I had two I had like two choices in my head My cousin lived out in California. She was a year older than me, um, but she already had her own place and everything. And I was like, either I'm going to move to the West Coast and start selling weed. This is like like, like 14 years ago. What'd you say? Before it was even legal then, right? Right, right, right. But it was legal in Oakland. So I I was predicting that it was going to be, I've always been somebody who could predict trends, like my whole life. So I was predicting that. I could get out there, make relationships. I've never worried about like making relationships with people that I needed to. So I'm like, if I get out there, I learn the ecosystem, I meet some people, 
I can make relationships. And by the time it becomes legal, I can be selling weed. You know what I'm saying? Like legal weed. So, and it became legal, uh, like California statewide, like three or four years later. And I would have been like, trust me, I can sell sand to the beach. I would have killed it. So (laughs) I was like, either I'm going to do that or I'm going to go to theology school. Right. Okay. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Complete opposites. And like, I tell people this and they're like, really? I'm like, these were my only two choices because both of them excited me. Um, The theology school part excited me was because the the school that I would have been going to was paired with an internship. And it was like uh, how to throw events, like seeker friendly events. Um, Yeah, like different stuff like that. And so I ended up going to that program because that was my biggest path of resistance. I think my dad was like, why are you going to theology school? You can't make any money doing that. And I'm like, you're a pastor, but my dad also had a full-time job. He worked for the FAA. He made good money. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, so it was, I was, it was a whole battle and I ended up going to the program. I had to figure out how to pay my way through because my parents wouldn't pay for it. And it was a private school. So there was no, I couldn't get any of my scholarships to apply. Mm. Um, So I did that, went through the program, graduated, and then Right before I graduated, basically, they lost their senior pastor to a lot of infidelity issues. There was all this like stuff that happened. And so I was 21 at that time. And that was the second major thing that happened because I basically I I went through the program. It was a a bachelor's program, but I went through it in like two and a half years because I would go from eight to five every day and I would do summer semesters because that was like. I don't even like school. I'm just trying to travel. Like we went overseas a couple of times, whatever. So I was, I was young. I graduated at 21 and I was like, well, graduated. I didn't finish paying the rest because I thought the program was BS and all the stuff that was going on at the, at the church. I was like, y'all need to get y'all stuff together. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was like, cause their satellite campus was at the church that I was like, the, you had to basically start going to that church. It was a satellite campus whole thing. Anyways. So I remember, uh, I'm I'm not going to be this long winded with every question you ask me. Sorry, I just like this is like testimony. This is like the the meat and potatoes of it. So go ahead. Yeah, this was like a formative part for me. Um, So I remember like it was probably like my last week or two there before the program ended, and this woman that I had known all my life walked up to me. She's like, I just feel like God is telling me to tell you this, and she was like, You have to learn how to stand on your own two feet. You can't stand on anybody else's shoulders, not the pastors, not your parents, whatever. This is before she even knew, like nobody in the church knew about the infidelity stuff because I worked on church staff. I found out early, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of other reasons. But so she's just saying, like, you can't stand on anybody else's faith. You can't believe the word of God for from anybody else. It has to be your relationship with the Lord, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that my whole life I had had like experiences that were like exciting and interesting. And I'm like, oh, I believe the word of God and I'm seeing God work in this moment. But I remember hearing that. And then for the, like the rest of that year, next two or three years of my life, Mm -hmm. really being like, I have to decide that like Christ is for me and not based off of anybody else's rules, thought process, regulations, whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I'd say like, Probably 21, 22 is when I'd say at 16 and then again at 21. And then like I I battled depression really, 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 really badly. Um, 
end of last year, beginning of this year, I go in and out of like depression. I have been for like, since like 2018, but I think end of last year was another time that I was just like deconstructing my faith and like, yeah, like, do I believe this or do I not? And so, um, and, and is Jesus real? Is he, is he who he says he is and not who I want him to be? You know? So I think every handful of years I, I go through like, what do I believe? Is this real? is Christ real to me? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's, it's not something that I'm just like, Oh, I got saved at this age and I'm just locked and loaded. Yeah, like yeah. I think it's impossible to really believe something. If you only believe it at face value, the first time you hear it, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And I, I think that if you're doing anything aside from deconstructing it consistently, you might as well just be blindly following something that could be misleading you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I believe that about everything. Like, my life changes regularly. So the only thing that can be constant is something that I'm constantly revetting. You know what Mm. what I'm saying? So that's, that's where I'm at with it. I think that um, people go through identity crisis and they think that, Christ changes and it's like he he doesn't but he does like he he is what we need in that moment but he's always been consistent you know so and I think to be a black Christian there's no way that I could just take it at face value and be like yeah I just believe this you know what I'm saying because Christianity has been so influenced by imperialism and colonization and white supremacy like if I really want to believe this like yeah the first first 10 iterations of the gospel to me were through the lens of white filters. Do you know what I'm saying? And so like, as I grow and mature, it's like, man, learning where the church started, learning like what the truth of the Bible really says about me and like learning also that there's no white people in the Bible, except for the people who are doing bad stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? It's (laughs) like, like they completely mistaught us everything, but I could write on this for days, but no, that that's it. I mean, yeah, that's like a whole podcast series talking about that. But um, there is definitely something to always like kind of checking in and um, deconstructing. And I think I think that's good. Like you said, it's good for like every aspect of your life as well. So, okay. And how would you say that God's presence looks like in your life personally, outside of music, just personally? He speaks to me like I speak to everybody else. So when I tell you, I, I tweeted this the other day, the Holy Spirit be gathering me, like really, really. So um, I don't know. I have a lot of like memorable moments where God is just like, oh, for real, Aaron? You know, like, so he definitely speaks to me like I speak to him um, or like how I speak to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um a lot more gentle at at times though, but sometimes he's like brash like me. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I think his presence is like, I think uh, I'm learning not to silo God. Like, oh, he's here with me in the morning when I talk to him. Yeah. And oh, he's here when I'm crying at this. No, like he's, that's my, that's my guy. He's yeah. just here all the time, <laughs> making sure that I'm still alive. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. keeping me alive. So, yeah. Okay. So you are, well, you describe yourself at least on IG as an artist, advocate, dreamer, president of just build your own dreams and co-owner of um, Invitation Only. 
So, um, Invitation Only is the first time I heard your name. If you want to start... Invite Only. I'm sorry, Invite. My it's bad. cool. <laughs> invite Only is the first time I heard your name. But if you want to start with um, just kind of breaking down, like, how it even came about and, like, your why even starting it, yeah. Yeah, so I started out in rock music, and I did that, like, for five years, I think. Yeah, yeah, so I started out with rock music. I toured on, like, Warp Tour. Mm. I was throwing my own tours with the band. Um, got out of it because the band kind of lost their mind. Got into film for a little bit, and then I met Caleb on the internet and just started talking to him. And, uh, like, basically a year later, I was back in the music and he was, like, the artist I was managing. But when I came back, I was just throwing a bunch of, like, shows and events and stuff Um, because I was like, I don't need an artist to throw my own events. And so uh, because of him and a lot of people being like, is he CHH? I had never heard of CHH. Like, I grew up in the church, but I had just never heard of that. Like, the only, like, Christian rapper that I had known of was Canton Jones and I like wasn't a fan so like I no disrespect to him but I was like okay if everybody sound like this there's no reason for me to look into that and again I'm in Atlanta so my standard for hip-hop is high like I'm not gonna just let stuff slide like I don't care if you're talking about Jesus or not like if you're talking about my savior you better be fi-fi you know what I'm saying so I just didn't know and then I had heard about Lecrae like I had heard about him like a few years later, but I didn't, I had never listened to his music. And the first time I ever listened to a Lecrae song was when Anomaly dropped. And everybody was like, yo, this dude is charting. He's charting, he's charting. And that's all I kept hearing, like just from my friends. And I was like, oh, that's that Christian dude. And I checked it out. I'm like, oh, this ain't bad. Like, that's cool. And I had heard an Andy Minio song, one. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, I had no entrance into like the Christian hip hop scene. So when I started working with Caleb and everybody kept asking me if he was CHH, I literally had to Google that word. Like I was at (laughs) Track Stars trying to get them to sponsor one of my shows. And they asked me, is Caleb Mitchell CHH? And I was like, I Googled it. I'm like, oh, Christian hip hop. Cause it's like, there's a bunch of CHH acronyms. So I just kept going down to see which one made sense. And I was like, oh, I was like, I don't know. He's a Christian. I was (laughs) like, how do you differentiate what's CHH? You know what I'm saying? Like I was completely green. So I started a show series. I did it with track stars for a long time. Um, basically like I met Raul through that, um, cause he was trying to like play my shows and then he kept asking if he could get on stage with Caleb for different stuff, whatever. He used to do like flyers for me for, um, for rap reel and stuff like that. It was just like weird. We, I think we got cool on the internet cause he's in with a lot of Atlanta, other Atlanta rappers. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, oh, he was on the scene. I seen people talking about him. So yeah. So anyways, fast forward, like two and a half years later um he hits me up like and this is after he got signed to reach he's kind of like doing his thing he's like yo like I want to do a show in Atlanta but I'm actually thinking about doing a tour and I'm like man I think I could do a tour for you right so I end up like we talked right before like he basically came out to the first day of Cannon's tour the home for the summer tour Mm -hmm. and like told me he wanted to do this and I was like I'll be back in five days or I'll be back in a week let's talk in a week about this so I came back a week later that was in between, I think I had one more tour. And then, yeah, anyways, we planned a show in like two weeks. I got the date. 
whatever did it and then we started the tour it was crazy and the tour ended up selling out you know that was the saint holy tour whatever so on that tour brandon who is now my he's co-owner of build your own dreams and then also uh co-founder with me with uh and mike mack of invite only and so he just was like we had done some work together but we weren't like consistently working together he's like yo do you um need help with like ticketing and like back-end marketing. And I was like, yes. And then he'd be like, yo, do you need help with this? And I'm like, yes. So I just kept giving him stuff to do. And I would just send him like no money. Like I was sending him like a hundred dollars here, $200 there. Like he was just like helping me do like all the customer service, answering any ticketing questions, whatever. So while we're on that tour, I start talking to him about like, man, we should like try to formalize this. And Mike Mack also, he does a ton of booking. He was doing a ton of booking for RMG. He's Derek Miner's um, booking agent and Canon's booking agent. Okay. So he was like helping us route the next tour that I was about to go on, which was the Family Ties tour. So we were all talking consistently because Brandon works for RMG. He does all the digital marketing um, <clears throat> strategy, everything. So we were just always talking all the time. So then we were like, yo, like we should just make this a thing. Like, let's just start a booking agency. And so we were like, bet everybody comes down to A3C during like, so basically I finished the St. Holy tour and then I have a day off and then A3C starts and then I have another day off and then I fly out to the family ties tour. So I had like eight, an eight day stretch where I was in Atlanta. So Brandon and Mike come to Atlanta for A3C. I'm throwing a bunch of events. Me and Brandon get invited to this like secret, <laughs> like late night after hours party. And it turns out to be a private dinner, right? So we're mm-hmm. at this private dinner. It's only six people there. It's amazing. So me and Brandon are talking and we're like, yo, this is some invite only exclusive mm-hmm. stuff. And then <laughs> we both just look at each other. We're like, that's what we should call the booking agency, invite <laughs> only. And so like, that's how that whole thing started. And then we did the family ties tour and then immediately started booking people for 2020. And it, it started out as just my artist. Um, at that time, I was managing Dill, Wande, RG and Caleb. And so all four of them were on there. And within now we have 12 artists. We do Paris Chris, Not Clyde, Cannon, Derek, Byron, Danielle. Yeah, it's a bunch of people. But it's like it's dope now because it just naturally grew because Mike had all the connects with RMG. He knew how to do formalized bookings. He knew the churches. I didn't know anything about like booking in churches and stuff. I had just been doing DIY grassroots type tours and venues. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of combined that expertise. And then Brandon brings all of the back end, all of the marketing, all of the ticketing, all of the, you know what I'm saying? So like together we formed Invite Only and now we have two more people on the team so yeah really long story I'm not supposed to be talking this long again it's it's okay (laughs) there's there's no rules on how long you can talk I mean it's all just fascinating especially knowing that you came from the rock world yeah like punk music you know what I'm saying yeah yeah. and then you just what you randomly heard of Caleb on like Twitter or something like that um so SoundCloud so The like so Xavier Omar has been my favorite R&B artist since I found him on SoundCloud because I used to be a huge Selection fan. Yeah. So I was always on Selection's page. I didn't listen to anything on SoundCloud, but like R&B and like DJ mixes and stuff like that. Like I just have never been 
big in the underground hip hop scene because like I grew up with my brother listening to like three, six mafia. Like I was hearing soldier boy mixtapes when he was like 15, you know what I'm saying? Like I heard crank that like two years before it ever hit radio, you know? So for me, my experience was that underground hip hop was like very disrespectful to women didn't align with my belief system. I don't need it to be PG, but I don't need you like, I don't, I don't like when people are like incessantly cursing in music. I, I don't know if I can say this, but I curse. So it's like, I'm, I'm not bothered by people being authentic, but I feel like it gets to a point where like, yeah, I just don't like disrespectful things in general. Respect is big for me. So I just was never into underground hip hop. Like I listened to like Luda. I listened to, of course, Outkast. Andre 3000 is my goat. I always listen to Lauren Hill. You know what I'm saying? But Mm -hmm. I wasn't like listening to underground stuff. So I'm on Xavier's page and he kept reposting Caleb. And I'm like, who is this rapper he keeps posting about, right? Mm -hmm. So I check out one song and it's this song that he had done, um, like, uh, what's the dude from, anyways, he had this sample in it and it was so, it was crazy. It was just, it was crazy. And I was like, I listened to the song and this is my litmus test for anything is like, if it gives me chills. So I like all the hairs on my arm were like standing up in my neck. And I was like, yo. (laughs) So I just listened to that one song. And then the next week he dropped uh, 45. Mm. So Xavier posted about 45 again. And I was like, all right. So I checked out 45. There was no song I didn't love. Not much less like, like I loved everything. I was like, who is spitting like this? Who's making music like this? This kid is unsigned. So then I go on Twitter. I find out the kid is 17. I'm like, bro, what is going on? (laughs) So I was just blowing up his Twitter nonstop. Like, yo, you're so dope. Whatever. Like just constantly just tweeting him. Then I started DMing him. I'm like, bro, I know you don't know me, but like, you're crazy fire. And I'm always somebody who wants to come with value because there's a lot of people who will come and be like, I can do this and this and this for you. It's like, okay, but do it. So I was like, I I book shows for A3C because I started throwing like rock shows at A3C. I did their first ever like rock only show like two years before. So I knew I was going to do another show with them that year. I'm like, I would love to get you on my A3C stage. It's the biggest hip hop festival uh, in the US, whatever, whatever. And so he was like, dope, man. I just got booked for Creation Fest. I think it's the same weekend. I don't think it'll work, but like, here's my manager's email. So then I hit the management email, it's his dad. <laughs> so basically, over the course of like two years, or so over the course of that year, every Sunday we talk, like not even just about like music business. We just talk about like, what is Caleb doing? Whatever. So it's me, his dad and him on the phone every Sunday. And um, yeah. So then that led to us building trust. They came to Atlanta one time to meet us. And then like, as Caleb started getting older and his dad, you know, you hear it on the project. I'm not going to tell his story, but his dad uh, is not the greatest dude in the world. So a lot of stuff started happening and going down and he really trusted me. So I just started taking him out on the road, flying him to Atlanta to do shows. And then, you know, he just became like my little bro. And I officially started managing him when he turned 18. So um, 
Yeah, I think actually, I feel like we met right when he was like maybe a week or two before he turned or like on the internet, like a, a couple weeks before he turned 17. So he was 16. Yeah. And then I officially started managing him when he was 18. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's been a journey. He's now about to turn 23, which is crazy. Um, yeah. I love that kid. But yeah, it, it was all shout out to Xavier Omar. So with the first song that we ever dropped on Build Your Own Dreams being Caleb and Xavier Omar was full circle mm -hmm. for our story, yeah. but also for like my career, you know what I'm saying? And then now Xavier was just at Holy Smoke, which is the first uh, mm -hmm. festival I've ever, ever thrown. And now we're like legitimately friends, but like from like, I'm, I'm, I'm an OG fan from when he was called Spazzy Rocket yes. and was like using a panda at mm -hmm. his like, like like his like logo or whatever yeah. so yeah it's i don't know sovereignty of god is dope but it's like really cool if you're in the music industry and you keep leveling up you'll eventually meet all the people that you love yeah that's true that's that's really dope um for anyone who wants to hear caleb mitchell's testimony we told that actually twice um we featured him as an up-and-comer so I think he was either 15 or 16 then. And then Ooh. earlier this year, we told his story as well. Um, same thing with Spazzy, Ra Spazzy Rocket. Well, when he was Spazzy Rocket, I did his interview and now he's Xavier Omar. So, yeah. Okay, so we know that you manage Caleb Mitchell, What Up RG. Um, and you kind of told how What Up RG was doing work for you. So it makes sense how you kind of ended up managing him. Um, but what about your connection with we'll do with Wande and Scotty ATL? Let's start with Wande and then we'll do Scotty. <laughs> yeah, with Wande, uh, yeah, but I feel like the industry is interesting. You just have to be careful the way that you speak about things and people. But basically, Wande was in a bad management deal. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she had hit me up to like, cause she's in Atlanta and Wande is the, like Wande has helped me several times get stuff arranged. Like the first ever South by Southwest show I threw, I was like, I'm the type of person, I leave no stone unturned. So I was trying to figure out who I knew in Austin. She was a huge fan of Caleb and used to record like cover videos of him. So I like, anytime I see super fans, I'll look into them, where they located, who are they talking to? what's their background. I just kind of stalk my artist fans. I don't have as much time to do it now as I used to, but I used to just sit on the internet and watch who's talking, who consistently comes up. I used to email super fans like early editions of the song, like stuff like that. Okay. Um, so she was one that I knew and I knew she was in Austin. So when I couldn't get um, a venue, I just DM'd her on Twitter. She ended up getting me a venue, whatever, whatever. Fast forward, like, she would just hit me like, yo, if you're doing an A3C show, I want to be on your stage. And I'm like, yeah, bet. Like, cause she was a hustler and she always helped me. Like she, she, she's somebody who helps herself. I'm the type of person as Scotty always says, like, uh, I'll help you if you're willing to help yourself. I'm like that. I'm like, I'm not about to do it for you. I'm not going to come up with the plan, but if you're helping yourself and, and you can show me how that can be beneficial to me by me helping you, then I have no problem. So, yeah. um, and then I always want women represented on my stage. Mm -hmm. And so when she would hit me, it would make it easier for me because in it, cause I was, these aren't like Christian shows. Right. Yeah. So I'm just taking from Atlanta, the Atlanta scene. There's a plenty of dope women in Atlanta. I love Atlanta, but there are a lot of, um, um, 
like pretty sexually explicit women in Atlanta. And so for me, sometimes if I knew I had like a mixed crowd, I'd be careful about like who I would put on my stage, whatever. And then it started getting to a point like, um, especially like when I first met Wande, that's back when Cardi B and Nicki were really, really hitting. Okay. So it was like the prices for women in Atlanta started really going up because women were hot. Mm-hmm. So Wande making herself available would always be dope because I'm like, we can just put somebody on the stage. I wasn't a fan of her music back then, but I'm like, she's trying. She'll figure it out. She's a hustler. Like you'll either get better or she's going to move over to the business side. And that's what I when people used to always ask me, like, Oh, yo, like, are you rocking with Wanda? I'm like, I don't really like her music. I was like, but either she's going to get better or she's going to be a business mogul, right? So then she starts working for Reach and then whatever, whatever. So long story short, she was in a bad business deal and had hit me up to kind of help her, like, navigate some of, like, getting out of it. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? And she was like, yo, this and this and this happened and this happened. And I was like, yeah, it was it, it was a weird way for me to get in because I started trying to help her get out of the deal and it and it put me it put me in the midst of in the midst of a crossfire, right? So then I helped her get out of the deal. This was her first year at Reach, and so she was about to start her album cycle. And I was like, yo, you can't drop an album, like, with no management. I'm like, your label is not going to help you. You know, like, people think that labels are there to help the artists. It's like, no, labels are there to help themselves. Reach wants to help the artists because they're Christians, but still their number one interest is the, the label, right? Because yeah. they're a business. They have employees, whatever. So I was like, you can't go into an album cycle, like especially your first album cycle without a manager. I was like, yo, just let me help you like finish the album process, whatever, whatever. And she was like, yeah, that'll be dope. Um, so I just helped her. So after like, four, like, honestly, after like three or four months, I started helping her during the family f- ties tour. And then after like three or four months, I'm like, this kind of makes sense. Would you be down for me? Like managing you? I was like, I don't want to overstep my bounds. I was like, I don't know if you're talking to somebody else. I was just trying to help you. And she was like, this has literally been my dream for years. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, so confused. I'm like, what? She was like, I've wanted you to manage me as like pretty much since I've known who you were. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, that's interesting. Like completely shocked me. Right. Yeah. So I was like, all right, let's pray about it for a couple of weeks and we'll figure it out. And then like two weeks later, we like, yeah, yeah, we good. So we just kept going from there. So like, yeah, it basically started with one day building, bringing me value years yeah. and years before. And then I was just like, again, especially if I know a person, I, you could ask almost any person in the Christian hip hop scene who I've ever put on a stage or even people you haven't put on a stage, <clears throat> if I know you, I'm going to try to help you, especially on the business side, because the reason that the Christian hip hop scene, the reason that anybody fails is because their business infrastructure isn't good. Yeah. It's not because they're not talented. Right. So I realize that there's a lack of business infrastructure in the Christian hip hop scene. So I'm trying to help people avoid pitfalls, avoid avoid signing bad deals, avoid signing what looks good, but actually will be detrimental. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that's why I have so many companies, because I'm trying to like create uh, like a, a way for artists to like have a pathway through without having to give up their masters or like work with somebody who doesn't have their best interests, especially black artists. So yeah, that's how it started. Me, her helping me and then me trying to help her. And then, yeah, now we're here. <laughs> I mean, that's just a testament to like, for those who think that it's just simple, like, 
you can just meet somebody and be like, oh, put me on. And it's just no. like that. Like, especially not me. Like, <laughs> yeah. if, you come with, if you come with that energy or language, I will probably not speak to you like yeah. at all. Like, no, like my favorite word in the English language is reciprocity. Like, yeah. no, it has to make sense to me. Yeah. Like there's, and then especially now, because I know that a lot of times I'm, I'm every time I walk into a room since I was young, I knew I held the, held the value. I held some of the value, right? You know, I'm not everything, but just by being myself, I hold value in this room, right? If I walk in now and I can, I have resources and relationships, I hold the value. So why would I entertain you telling me that you're talented and therefore I need to help you? Like, what is talent? It's like a blade of grass. I can find it anywhere. There's yeah. three-year-olds on TikTok that are talented. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how'd you hook up with Scotty ATL, who isn't a hip hop artist, right? Just the grill. He is. He is. He's, he's, he's an, an artist, artist too. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And he, he, is, he, had, he had an album that charted this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an artist. My yeah, bad. He's a rapper, rapper. <laughs> he's a rapper, rapper. Okay. So how did yeah. that connection happen? So I'm from Atlanta again. Yeah. Scotty ATL, somebody I grew up listening to his mixtapes. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like he used to be big on Dat Piff and like my mixtape and all of that. Like he was one of those rappers who was like selling CDs out of his car or whatever, like hustling in the city. Um, so I didn't know that he was still like really making music, but like uh two and a half years ago, this is it 2019 was a crazy year for me because basically. I met him in between two tours. Same thing. It was like, I had like two weeks off and I throw a lot of, sh- I used to throw a lot of shows at this venue called Smith's Old Bar. Um, and so I was like, cool with the talent buyer. I'm on the board of um, uh, national, I don't know. I'm on a board of like music business professionals here in Atlanta. It's called NARIP, but I don't know what it stands for. So Naris is the Grammy, Grammys and Narip is the other one where there's like voting and whatever. So I'm on the board here in Atlanta and he was also on the board. This is before I was a board member, I think, or right when I had become a board member, but he was always just like super interested in me and like always trying to help me. His name is Sean. So he's a talent buyer there, <clears throat> like middle-aged white guy. He's like, I like your hustle. You know what I'm saying? So he was always like putting me on game. Um, and he would, I don't know, he's just a dope dude. So he hits me one day and is like, uh, do you know Scotty ATL? I'm like, yeah. He was like, man, he's looking for somebody to help book him, whatever, whatever. I was telling him about you. Um, would you be down to come meet him next week? And I was like, sure. So I'm like, yeah, of course I know who Scotty ATL is, whatever. So I'm like, okay, I guess he's like still touring, whatever. So I pull up, we talk, Sean's talking, Scotty's talking, I'm talking, we just kind of shooting the breeze, whatever. Scotty's just kind of telling me a lot of stuff. So I'm like, okay, bet. Like, yeah, I'm sure I can help you book something. I was like, I'm about to go on tour uh, in two weeks and then I'll be back, whatever, whatever, we can figure it out. So he was like, all right, cool. Walk to my car, driving away. I'm like maybe 10, 15 minutes down the road and he calls me and I'm like, Scotty ATL is calling me right now? So I'm like, <laughs> hello basically in a 10 minute conversation he asked me to manage him I'm like bro I just met you like (laughs) no you know what I'm saying I'm like we don't know if we're a good fit I was like I don't do it like that I was like I was nicer about it yeah 
I was just kind of like, oh, well, we just met each other. We got to make sure it's a good fit. I kept telling her, I was like, I have to make sure that it is like uh, beneficial for me. And I was like, money isn't my main motivator, but it's got to be something in it for me. I was like, I'm excited about prospect and ideas. I'm like, if you can tell me what your plan is for the next year and I feel like I can fit into it, we can discuss it. I was like, but typically I try to like walk with people for at least a year before I start managing them. Yeah. And he was like, man, I feel like you could help me run my label. I feel like you could. Do I'm like, okay, dude. So yeah, I go on tour, I come back, then I have another tour. So we're just talking nonstop. He's asking me stuff. We're going through stuff. And he hits me one day. He's like, are you always going to be this d- busy? I was like, probably. And he was like, <laughs> Oh, so I'm like, yeah, you got to get in where you where you fit in. And he was like, okay, if I start paying you, will you like whatever? So I was like, man, I really want to box. I was like, if you start paying for my boxing classes, then I'll make more time for you. And he was like, word. He was like, I box every Tuesday and Thursday. So I just started pulling up on him and we would like, we would pull up crazy. We would pull up to his coach's driveway because his coach owned a gym, but the coach lived closer to where, because both of us live on the South side. So the coach lived closer to where we both were and his gym was on the North side. So we'd pull up, he'd pull out the speed bags and all that. And we would just work out outside hard and we got to know each other like working out yeah I was always at his shop talking on the phone like he used to call me every day like 8 a.m on the dot and talk to me it was it was crazy so yeah that's how I started managing Scotty at first it was just kind of like me talking to him through strategy telling him about the music industry like hey I don't think this will work hey I think this will work you know what I'm saying like just talking him through stuff and building trust and now like um Brandon and I and BYOD actually represent him. We're his brand managers for Girls by Scotty. And then me and Brandon co-manage him on the music side. Brandon does all his backing and digital stuff. I do a lot of strategy and Brandon does a ton of strategy too. So it's kind of like a two-headed beast with me and Brandon. And then on, on the BYOD side, we kind of contribute to things like that too. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I know um, Scotty's just been just getting a lot of buzz for the grills, especially with um, the Issa Issa Rae wedding plug. That was pretty dope. Yeah, yeah. That that whole situation is crazy. But I'm going to say this really quickly. Scotty just dropped this weekend. Again, he dropped the deluxe album with the album that charted earlier, and he just charted again. So if you you should check it out, it's called Trapping Gold. My favorite track on it is Calling Me Up. I arranged a choir for it. It's the last track on the album, so you got to check that out. But yeah, Scotty can rap, yo. Like, okay. he, a, he a real ATL East Side rapper. Like, he from the East Side, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he's dope. But yeah, the Easter the Ray thing was so dope. It, I don't work on Sundays, right? All of my artists know that. So typically my phone is on do not disturb on Sundays. And like he kept calling me. So it was like <laughs> I got it like like the, the like after the you know, so my phone is like, I'm not gonna tell you. So I have a setting that's even beyond what most people's do not disturb is. So for me to get his calls was like he was really trying to get a hold of me. So I'm not anybody's emergency contact. If he was dying, he would not be calling me. So I knew he was excited about something. Yeah. And of course, as usually, he was like, Aaron, I know you don't work on Sundays, but <laughs> guess what just happened? And I was like, what's up, Scotty? And so he was like, 
I think Issa Rae just came into the shop. I was like, yo, what? He was like, <laughs> I don't know who she is, but everybody said you would know who it was. So they said to call you. So like his grill techs know me and stuff. Yeah. So like they called, he was in LA. And so he, they called me and I, he, he was like, we just Google uh, her driver's license to make sure. Cause they, they, we take everybody's driver's license because it's the jewelry business and there's yeah. a lot of fraud. So you have to show your real ID. There's no like for real, for real, if you paying yeah. for it, so they like googled her name whatever anyways long story short I just basically was like you gotta fly her the grill and he was like to France and I was like yes like you gotta fly her the grill and this was on a Wednesday or this is on a Sunday she needed it by Thursday so oh, even wow. to get a grill that fast is is pretty hard and she yeah. had she had this is common knowledge, so I'm not putting anything out there, but she she had flooded out things, which is like n- full diamonds. Like it's just nothing but diamonds. So it takes a, so the way that the grills are made, they're molded and and, and you have to make the, the actual gold mold. Mm-hmm. Then typically we'll give it back to you. You try it on to make sure it fits. And then you put the diamonds in there because if it doesn't fit with the diamonds, we have to pop out all of the diamonds, melt the gold back down. Mm -hmm. And then you end up losing a ton of gold. It's like a complicated process. So it's already a risk to just make somebody's grow that fast with diamonds. And plus our, at this, at this point back then, which was only a little while ago, we only had uh, jewelers, like our, our main warehouses were in Atlanta. So he would have to get it made in Atlanta fly it back to LA, you know what I'm saying? So he just decided to fly to Atlanta, make it, and then fly to France. And then the rest is history. Y'all can read about it in People Magazine. Um, But yeah, so he went to LA, did Issa's Grill, and uh, it's been up since then. And that was only a month ago. So it's, it's been crazy. That's that's so fly, man. And yeah, definitely got to fly that out yourself. (laughs) Don't um, FedEx that to her. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. And that's what he was like, man, I could just, I'm like, no, because it could get lost. I'm like, I think that this could be a career making event. I said, this may be your most important grill in your career or whatever. We had no idea she was going to post like eight stories talking about how great the customer service was. We had no idea she was going to post all those videos. It was like, it's been we couldn't have paid for that type of advertisement, but yeah. Scotty has such a phenomenal personality and he is the selling point. Like, the store in general, whether he's there or not, you're going to walk in and feel like a million bucks because he trains in customer service, like Mm. to no degree. But like when you meet him, you'll love him. I've never met anybody who didn't meet him and love him. He's just an incredible, incredible, incredible human being. So, yeah. Okay. So we talked about invite only. We talked about your managing. So let's talk about just build your own dreams now. Yeah. So build your own dreams is actually, uh, the name of a show that I threw A3C 2018. Um, I wanted John Gibbs to, so basically uh, one of my really close friends, his name is DeBaron, uh, DJ 412. And so he, we, he wanted to start throwing shows. He had already, he had, let me not say that. He had already had a show called DJ 412 and Friends, but he had seen my shows and was like, yo, we should collab on something. And I was like, well, let's do something during A3C. So we decided to do this show. And he was like, well, what do you want to call it? And I was like, I want to call it Build Your Own Dreams because I'm trying to like invite out all of my favorite artists to come 
So it would be my dream. So I was like, if nobody shows up, I get a private show from my favorite artist. Mm-hmm. And he was like, who's at the top of your list right now? I was like, John Gibbs, you know? And he was like, okay, bet. He's like, I know him. And I was like, yo, what? Like, yeah, <laughs> I'll hit him up. I'll see what the booking rate is. So the Baron ended up paying for the whole show. I didn't have any bread like that. John Gibbs was expensive back then. I think he probably still is pretty expensive. So he flew him out, flew his DJ out. We threw the show the show was dope. It wasn't a ton of people there, but it was like, it was probably like 70 people there. So it was really fire to me because I was just hanging, you know what I'm saying? It was like, it was dope to me. But um, we did that show. We wanted to make it a series, but it just didn't work out. So then um, last year, pandemic hits, most of my, like 80% of my money comes from booking tours shows and then promoting local shows and events here in Atlanta so I was out bad bad Mm -hmm. and so I was just kind of like soul searching trying to figure out what I wanted Caleb had gotten dropped from Def Jam recently and I really wanted him to put out a project but I didn't want us to just put it out I wanted to have money behind it so I just hit I like tweeted something about man I wish I could like expand what I'm doing in the industry, developing artists more, but like having a place for them to land like a label. I don't believe in owning people's masters, but I felt like we could do everything that a label does without taking people's masters. And so I really started diving into the thought process and I just hit Brandon and I'm like, yo, you want to start a label? He was like, yep. And I was like, all right, that he was like, what do you want to call it? Like, this is via text. Like we're not even on the phone. (laughs) And he was, I was like, man, I want to call it build your own dreams. He was like that. Right. I didn't know if he was like super into it. But now when he retells the story, he talks about how excited he was by the name. But I was so sold on the name. I was like, if he don't like this, this ain't good. like he we can't do this together. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, yeah. So I just brought the name back up because it was a name that I had already loved for so long. And so we, we started the label. Caleb was our first artist. We dropped some project or two song or three songs. We dropped a spoken word joint and then two songs that like contribute to charity. So yeah, like we celebrate our first year uh, in exactly, I think exactly a month. Yeah. Like, uh, like September 19th was, is the day that we announced it. You know what I'm saying? So we're considering that our like one year anniversary. So yeah. Well, congrats on the almost one year anniversary. Thank you. That's major. Okay. And you also do consulting work as well, or do you still have time for all that? Uh, Yeah. So like I do a lot of one-on-one consulting again and not, not a lot, but I do a decent amount of one-on-one consulting now uh, with like artists and like uh, creative entrepreneurs Uh, At first, BYOD, that was the brunt of like how we supplemented our income was just like doing a lot of like artist consulting, but it takes a ton of time. We give a ton of value and it just wasn't really lucrative for us. So we don't do it much anymore or we don't do it at all anymore. We just have our, we have Caleb and then we have like several artist clients. So Indie Tribe is one of our uh, like label clients. No Big Deal is one of our label clients. Scotty's one of our label clients. And then we just started a merchandise management um, wing of BYOD. So uh, Raul is one of our clients on that side. Wande is about to be a client. Um, 
Indie Tribe. Uh, and then we do our own merchandise. And then we're about to start taking on other contracts. I can't talk about any of the deals we just recently negotiated. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, that's, so that's like a wing of ours. Merchandise management. Like, yeah. never even thought of that as a thing. Like, yeah. Okay. So uh, we basically, we do the manufacturing and fulfillment of your merch. And then if you want us to, we can also design it for you. We do the back-end marketing and all of the email and text threads to people. And then we handle the customer service. So we basically uh, like take care of all of your merch needs outside of you promoting it on your page. So that's dope. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then um, would you mind talking about, because Holy Smokes, like you said, that was your first festival and that entire like weekend combined because there was the listening party as well for the Reach Summer. Uh, what are we in? 20, <laughs> 2021 playlist. <laughs> like, um, how was all that? Like the experience putting it all together and seeing it fruition? <clears throat> so I've always wanted to have my own festival and uh originally Dill was gonna drop some music earlier this year and so I was like man what if we did your own festival and I think I I told him this like the end of April or something like that maybe yeah middle of April and he was like this year (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah that's that's the crazy thing too people don't even know it's like and he was like Man, that would be tight. I've always wanted my own festival, but I don't think we have enough time. And we were in the process of like negotiating the indie tribe deal with like with them working with us. And so and so they had kind of given us the plan. They're like, man, we have this um, project. Then we want to drop a documentary. And I was like, man, y'all should just do a festival. And same thing, the guys were like, uh, do we have enough time? I was like, if y'all do it in Atlanta, we do. I was like, I'm telling you, we can do this. And so, um, yeah, so we just decided to do the festival. And we basically, I think we decided like mid-May. And then we announced it like the second week in June. And then it was the last week in July. And in the midst of that, we were promoting their project. You know what I'm saying? Like trying to get the project to chart. So it was like we had to spend all of May focused on the project. Then June, we really got into the heavy process, uh, like planning process. Um, yeah, so it was crazy. It was hectic. We had to change venues uh, two weeks before the event um, happened, and we didn't have a venue. So we had to find a venue in a week. Um, we And then Reach decided to hop on like maybe three weeks before the festival to do the listing party to kind of like support everything. I have a branded series in Atlanta called Trap Sushi. So um, my partner with Trap Sushi, his name is Troop. He wanted to, he was like, yo, let's just do it that weekend so that we can kind of like create momentum. So we did Trap Sushi on Thursday. Friday, we did the listening party. Then we did a basketball tournament. Then we did an after party for all the VIP that had a cypher that we recorded. That cypher's coming out, uh, I think, next month. Yeah, in September, the cypher will be out. Um, and then uh, we did the festival on on um, Saturday. And then we had a brunch with the guys on Sunday just to, like, recap and, like, tell everybody thank you and everything so it was a crazy weekend I took two weeks off after um the fans seemed to really love it the artists were really happy um yeah it it was it was a cool experience very cool experience I'm sure I mean I'm sure you needed the two weeks 
off. Yeah, I need more time off. Yeah, I need at least more than that. So um, is it possible there's going to be another Holy Smokes in the future? Oh, yeah. Holy Smoke is supposed to be a yearly thing. I already have the venue for next year. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be a yearly thing. And now having more time and the awareness, all of that, I think we're going to announce tickets at Christmas and do like a limited like Christmas bundle where you can get a certain amount of pre-sales and then we'll cut the tickets off again and then put them back up at the like, you know, probably closer to the date yeah. before we start announcing people. But yeah, like we have big plans for it next year. Got the location yeah so it should be dope that's dope man okay and i want to move forward to a hot topic that's trending right now i don't know if you know kendrick lamar's trending oh really yeah he's he posted um that he's gonna be doing his last project for that doesn't surprise me yeah so Um, I just kind of took out some of the bullet points of what I thought he was saying, but he said, love, loss, and grief have disturbed my comfort zone, but glimmers of God speak through my music and family. I feel joy that I've been part of such a cultural imprint for 17 years. May the Most High continue to bless TDE as a vessel for candid creators. He says there's always beauty and completion and faith in the unknown. So, um... Well, you said that you kind of figured that this would be his last project with Top Dog. <laughs> I, I just, it doesn't surprise me. Like, it, it seems like he doesn't enjoy it anymore. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And then I, I, I'm i an empath, so I can, like, read people. I feel like he hasn't enjoyed it for a long time. Yeah. I feel like he was led more by his urgency and his need to say things than he actually was by his desire to say them. Mm, that's... <laughs> that's very observant right there um do you think that christian hot hip-hop chh is more accepted and kind of less taboo because of popular artists like kendrick who speak about god and on the mic and off the mic i mean maybe i think hip-hop artists have always talked about god um i think christian hip-hop is more accepted more so because of people like um chance the rapper I think than Kendrick specifically, um, but possibly like I think Kendrick has a uh, a bigger effect on Christian hip hop artists than he does on the acceptance of Christian hip hop artists. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, pretty much everyone in CHH is like a fan. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's dope. I feel like I don't know anybody. He's, there's very few people that I know aren't a fan of Kendrick Lamar. I think he's just a dope artist. For real, for real. Um, I'm sorry, just real quick. I got to My grandma's here. Um, hold on, Lord. grandma. I'm, I, I promise I'm almost done with this interview, okay? <sighs> grandma, you you literally just had lunch. It's, it's okay, okay? I know you don't care about your figure. You don't need to be concerned about it now. I, you don't you don't know who she is, Grandma. Erin Knight. No, Erin Knight, Grandma. It's a it's a black knight. It's a you. He, hello. You ain't it's a black knight. It, it's a black knight is a tall, lanky, lanky fella. Uh 
Who was you, child? What's up? <laughs> what you? Who? What you? Black Knight? Aaron? What? What's your name, child? Aaron Knight. Yep. Oh, oh, Aaron. Okay. You that girl who's behind the scenes, like always doing things, always doing things. And you like to say the word a lot, huh? Don't you? <laughs> Aaron, uh, do, do you mind if I, if I pray for you? Say a little prayer? <laughs> sure. Oh, Lord, I, I pray and, and I, I just want to thank you, Lord, for for putting that that extra sauce that you did on this young woman. She she got that extra sauce, Lord. She be doing so much for this hippity hoppity culture, Lord, especially with them folk who who just love the Lord. And and I just pray that she she keep dreaming, Lord. I pray that she keep building and building off them dreams, Lord. I I pray that you build up more like her, Lord. More behind the scene, folks, because you know, Lord, we, we just don't need no more cats out here just scatting, just out here scatting for the name of Jesus, Lord. I mean, we know that everybody can't be an artist. Lord, you know, some of these artists out here just, just got some nerve stepping foot on the stage and you ain't blessed them with a lick of musical talent, Lord. But they want to be a rap star, Lord. Lord, help them to discover that their love for hip-hop should be just that, a love. And that if they love hip-hop so much, Lord, then, then let, them, let them maybe manage someone that you actually gave talent to, Lord. Lord, this, this young woman, she remind me of my, my great-grandbaby. Little girl ain't nothing but 10 years old, but her favorite word is Just this and then get at it. She even fried me some fish the other day and said, your fish is ready. I said, there's grandma to you. Now, what? why am I saying something? Oh, oh, that's right. Aaron. Aaron, Lord, I, I just want you to continue to bless her and everything that she got going on, Lord. I'll pray these things in your son's name, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, young lady. I'm going to get my grandbaby, uh, Gaylika, back on here to wrap up this interview with you. It's nice meeting you, Aaron. You too. All right. She she ready, Gaylika. She she ready. And I'm ready for my food, so you need to wrap up this interview, okay? Need me some some food, some some cookies, some biscuits. Don't give me none of that kale. I'm so tired of that kale stuff. All right. Uh, thank you for entertaining my grandma. For sure. Now, how would you say that your that God's presence looks like in your life musically? What does that mean? Uh, well, we talked about his presence in your life personally. So, um, I guess, uh, I guess more, it's more so a question I usually ask artists, but I mean, you definitely have a heart for music and are a huge fan. So I don't know. How do you feel like God is, is there for you musically and in all that you do on the back end of everything? Uh, I don't know. That's hard. I, I think, I don't know. Like I told you, like I, I try not to silo God. So I think that he's like, 
in everything. I definitely see his hand working um, in me and through me, like in the music scene, mm-hmm. um, especially just like the amount of influence that he's given me, like not even just like in the Christian scene, but like um, in the Atlanta scene, just like, yeah, like just being able to maneuver like really like worldwide, like I've seen a lot of favors. So um, yeah, I think he's like musically, he's definitely helping me to go wherever I need to go and like making sure I stay grounded. I know. Okay. And now that you've completed this interview, um, who would you like to see me interview on the show? Whose testimony would you like to hear? Um, oh, Thailand. I'm not familiar with Thailand. She's so dope. She, she opened up the Holy Smoke stage Okay. Um, she's super fire. She's a spitter out of um, Nebraska, Omaha, and she's like, she's so dope and so intelligent. She can sing like crazy, and she's yeah, she's dope. Her name is Thailand. Yeah. How does she spell it? Like T Y L Y N N. T Y L Y N N Thailand. Okay. From Nebraska. All right. Oh, she's dope. She's so dope. Okay. Hey, what's up? Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for watching the show. However you consume us, thank you. Please subscribe to the show. And if you really enjoy the content, please leave a review. It really does help with the ranking of the show. And if you want to go an extra mile, share the show. Share this episode. And for all things testimony, visit testimonystories.com. Until next time, I'm Gilika Brown, the music lover constantly seeking positive music.